Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast presented by Big O Tires. It's Tuesday, January 21st, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Let's talk some Royals baseball with beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian. It's looking like Alex Gordon and the club are closing in on a one-year deal. The seven-time Gold Glove winning outfielder and three-time All-Star is something of a rarity in today's game. He's played all 13 of his Major League seasons with one club. He had a bit of a resurgence at the plate last season, and that likely strengthens the desire for each side to give it one more go. Lynn and Vahe also talk about the new deal for home run champion Jorge Soler and what that might mean for Soler after the 2020 season. After a break, we remembered David Glass, the venerable Royals owner who died last week. Glass had sold the team to John Sherman after last season, and we remember the highs and lows of the Glass era. So it was snowing outside. That must mean it's time to talk baseball, because <laughs> that's, that's uh, it's what the hot stove is about. Lynn Worthy is here. It's good to see you, Lynn. Good to see you, too. And Vahe Gregorian has joined us. Hi, Blair. I hope it's good to see me, too. It is. It's always good to see you, Vahe. And it's always great to talk about the Royals. Uh, Look, we're in the middle of Chiefs excitement, and everybody is all, including the Royals, excited about the Chiefs. I saw on the scoreboard at Kauffman Stadium last night, they had a congratulations message for the Chiefs. I thought that was pretty cool. And It is neat, that dynamic between them, isn't it? And I'd urge anybody listening to look up the story. I think it was a little bit of your brainchild, but a Sam McDowell product on the relationship between the Royals and Chiefs. And starting kind of with Ned and Andy, but it's a, it's a great story and really telling at this this juncture. And I don't think it happens in every market. I, I don't think that there's a relationship between the, you know, the, the two, te- you know, the football, the baseball team or, or two professional teams. I just think it's because they share a parking lot. And so they see each other a lot. And we know the, the athletes from one visit the, you know, games, they go to the games of the other. And famously, the, you know, Royals being on the sideline in 2014 for the Chiefs' uh, Monday night game against the Patriots. There was Billy Butler and Hosmer and those guys. But, but anyway, but there's Royals news to talk about, too. And there could be some big Royals news this week, Lynn. Fill us in on who might sign with the Royals. Yeah, well, we've uh, been reporting since November that the um, all signs indicate the Royals are going to bring back Alex Gordon. Um, you know, there was the at the end of the season, it was up in the air. He might retire. He he already had said he wasn't going to play for anybody else. He didn't want to play for anybody else besides the Royals. Talked about being a Royal for his entire career. Um, but it looks like probably by the time we get to Fan Fest at the end of the week, they should probably have a deal done uh, to bring him back at least for one more season, uh, which would be 14th, or at least part of 14 seasons in the major leagues, all with the Royals. And so, like I said, going back to November, it seemed like that was going to be the case. And now it seems like it's just a matter of uh, physical signature here and there, and he'll be back for one more year. Seems like Fan Fest would be an opportune time to, to roll out a, you know, the, 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 the announcement of a very popular player. Bring us up to date on his, what was his contract situation? He was, uh, it was club option? Yeah, yeah. So he had, he had signed with the, it was uh, the biggest contract they had given anybody. And it, the club option was after this past season, which would have paid him, I believe, $23 million, Which So going into this season, everybody acknowledged that, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, even Gordo had talked in spring training and during the season that, yeah, he's, he was basically just said, yeah, the contract's up. Like, he wasn't even acknowledging that that fifth-year option was a possibility and that um, he'd probably come back or if he came back it would probably be on a one-year deal I mean he had he had said this 
openly before you know the season even ended. Um, so when they um, declined the option, it wasn't a surprise to anybody. I mean, he still actually had been doing some events with a jersey on, representing the Royals with charity events in the last couple of months. Uh, when we talked to him after he got his seventh gold glove, sounded like he was leaning towards coming back. He talked about being interested in what the Matheny regime would look like and just getting that itch again. So, I mean, even with the contract expired, I think that was that was nothing that was not uh, expected. And um, there was still an open communication. And General Manager Dayton Moore had even said, you know, that he felt like the feeling was mutual, that, you know, they would come back. It was just a matter of basically getting other things sorted out as far as contracts, arbitration, those sorts of things, and then seeing how much of the pie they had left to be able to offer Gordon. He said, I think I read in one of your stories, he said that he couldn't see himself playing for another team. No, It was either going to be one more year with the Royals or... Or, or not, yeah, not he wasn't ball. he wasn't going anywhere else. I mean, he had he'd said that I think multiple times. And I remember in Minnesota, the the Royals seem to be the uh, the team that Minnesota lines up all their retirement ceremonies and everything against. <laughs> and so it happened to be Joe Maurer, who was a local, even more local than Gordo is here. Right. But I remember talking to him before the game about that, like Maurer having been a local guy, spent his whole career with that organization, and you could tell Gordo wanted that same sort of thing. Obviously, not right next door, but from the region, having always been with the Royals, and that was something that he definitely wanted for his career. Okay, so let, let's assume that Gordon signs um, maybe this week, but he, but he signs. He's with the Royals this year, Vahe. What, what does his presence mean to the Royals? Well, it's funny how different that looks to me anyway, based on how he's trended you know, in the, in the last year or so, because it, you know, I think you had a feeling a year and a half or so ago, like, let's just get through this contract and move on. And now it feels different, doesn't it? I mean, you feel like he's still got some game left. It, certainly, he's got outfield game left, and he's got a, a, a bit of pop that that he's he's resumed a, a bit. And I think if you look at it as I don't know if we're going to look at it as a farewell tour, but I think we look at it a little differently that way too. That one of the biggest reasons he's here is for that influence and stability. I think for us too, and for fans, I do think it makes for a. Uh, a feeling you have about the organization that you see, we just don't see this very often anymore, right? That the guy who goes coast to coast with with one organization, and I I, I think that's just a, a nice underpinning to what they'd have this season. Um, and and look, I think they can prosper by both his play and his and his leadership. It is a funny leadership, though, isn't it? Because it's absolutely one that everybody will tell you is purely by example. He's not a guy pontificating. He's not really a guy to go on, uh, certainly with us, uh, it, but but I think even so with, with his teammates. Is that how you feel, Lynn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's by example, and it's also just sort of the um, being that steady figure. I mean, like, he he's just everything. You never see him panic, or at least from what I can tell. He goes about his business every day, um, whether it's, you know, the team last year obviously is struggling, but it was never anything that you could tell that was getting to him or anything like that. He was going about his business, and he was confident in the players in that clubhouse. Like, he'd talk about the young guys like Dozier and uh, Mondi and the different things they were doing and with a positive look towards the future. But by, by example, I think the best um, – anecdote I have is I was talking to Bubba Starling about that and he was talking about just in camps and working in the minors they used to talk about you have to do things this way or a certain amount of effort or a certain way you go about doing stuff and Alex Gordon who's in the big leagues at the time is the example that they're using and talking about how he did things and I mean that pushes a guy like Bubba to say this is like 
you can't slack off. You have to do it exactly this way. It's not, yeah, this is good enough. It's like, no, it wasn't good enough for the guy who's <laughs> in the big leagues, and he's got the resume to back it up, having won seven gold gloves this year. So. All the more so when you think about it as, you know, a converted third baseman yeah. who uh, was, was, you know, not making it. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. And he's, he's talked about that, how he was a failed third baseman and sort of reinvented himself. And every time he gets another gold glove, it's sort of a reminder that, you know, um, just – and he always mentions, you know, Rusty and um, people like that who helped him get there. But it's it's a reminder. And the other thing, I think, just as far as him being able to contribute, that was one of those things that he's mentioned throughout the season, too, and postseason, was just that he had to make sure that he felt like he could still play. He wasn't going to come back just to come back for one last year. If he didn't feel like he could play at a high level, he was going to hang it up. At 13 home runs last year. Um, I don't have his slash line, but he had improved. He trended up. Last yeah. season, over the previous few it, years, it tailed a little bit at the end of the season, but he started off the season really hot. And um, but he still, I mean, like it was, it wasn't necessarily his best season, but it wasn't. It was better than the previous two years where he started to. I think that's what really started the ball the ball rolling about him thinking about retirement is just that he wasn't producing the last couple of years. Right. This might be a funny way to put it, but I, I I felt like last season he found what was left. Right, I mean that there was there was more there than we thought. It was a little bit mysterious, and you got into it a bit. I think about how the turn came and what just mechanically and different sorts of things he found. But but I like the notion that that you know at this point in his career where you think well he's just out of out of juice, and, and he wasn't. He, and and I, you know and I know he's not vintage Alex Gordon, but he's but he's productive Alex Gordon yeah he had to, he had to make adjustments basically I mean like there's adjustments as far as mechanics and things like that which he did make those but also going back to the year before just in terms of his daily routine these workouts like he talked about just being you know when you're 24 25 you can go in there and you know work out like crazy and and you know just go out in the field and run like a madman during BP shagging balls and he had to sort of Change some of those things because he's 36 <laughs> or well he was 30 35 i think he's 36 next month if i'm remembering correct um but yeah in the, the last you know couple years of his career he's got to make some changes so that he can produce every day because i mean baseball is a grind and it's it's a grind at 24 but it's going to be even more of a grind at 34 35 so he had to make those adjustments along with the mechanical adjustments I saw a whole new batting stance for him last season. It was just it was just different, and uh, and that helped him get off to the the really good start. You mentioned it earlier, Lynn, that uh, this will be uh, it's Mike Matheny's first year as the Royals manager. Does that play into this at all? That uh, there's it's a transition time for the Royals from Ned Yost to Mike Matheny, um, just to have a, a you know a veteran presence in the clubhouse while the Royals go through a a managerial transition, or am I, am I just reading too much into that? I don't know if it's as much the managerial transition or just the fact that, you know, they've sort of turned over the club from, you know, the, the roster from, you know, a couple of years back and that championship team. And they got another year further away from that. But you still have young guys that they're going to be counting on to come up and contribute to this team. So having guys like Gordo and Witt, I mean, I think Dayton's talked about it a few times, just that having that experience, guys who can lead by example, guys who can sort of be, you know, sounding boards or just um, that presence there is something that they need because they're expecting young pitchers, young position players to be big parts in the next year, two, three. And so having a guy like Gordon there and th- those guys, they feel like has a big impact on those players. And I'm not so like I say, I mean, like obviously there's a lot of change from Matheny to ownership, and I'm not sure how much of that impacts the clubhouse, but all those young guys definitely does impact the clubhouse. And I think that's where Gordon's presence helps.
This might sound silly, but I also wonder if Alex's presence and wit and, and guys of that ilk, if that's good for Matheny coming in here, sort of understanding as another element of Royals culture that is a shifting culture, but also I think there's still a understanding of the foundation of what the, for lack of a better term, the Royal way is, Royals way is. I, 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 maybe it's not anything anybody actually thought about, but I do wonder if it might be sort of an asset for Matheny as he makes his adjustment. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll be down to Gordon, Salvador Perez, and Danny Duffy. Am I right? About from, from the World from, Series? From the World Series team. I think that's right. There might be. Well, I feel, oh, well, theoretically, Mondesi. Right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And Mondi. Technically, right? Mondi, yeah. Got his at-bat <laughs> in New York, I remember. Hey, so one, one player we know will uh, be in a Royals uniform next year is Jorge Soler. Signed a one-year deal, and... Um, I'll tell you what, I, we spent a lot of time last year talking about, uh, as a trade deadline approached, what do you do with, with maybe one of your most valuable assets? And maybe it's just because I've been following the Royals for as long as I have. When you got a guy with that much pop in his bat, don't move him. And maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe they should have. You know, maybe his value peaked. At, you know, it would have peaked at the, the end of July last year. But I'm glad he's back in the Royals uniform, if only for one year. Yeah, well, it's 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 going to be well unless they make the trade. It's going to be for two years. Like he's under con- club control for this year and next year. You know they could trade him. Um, maybe the arbitration number they feel like gets bigger next year. But um, they avoided arbitration, which they almost always do. I think it's what one time under Dayton Moore. So he's in. I mean, he's getting seven point three million for a guy who hit forty eight homers and you know I forget exactly how many of them, but in Kauffman Stadium, which is the worst ballpark for a right-handed hitter. I think statistically, I wrote it a couple times just during the season that right-handed hitter, that's the worst ballpark in Major League Baseball. They hit home runs, and he hit 48 and led the American League. But I know still, there's still the possibility that they might try and lock him up for a longer term, which is you know what the Royals and a lot of these small market teams tend to do. Um, it's a value. That's a value yeah. issue, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you can get him locked up for you know another four years, and as opposed to him hitting the open market and teams, you know whether it's whoever you want to name the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know Dodgers, whoever who just wants to pile put a pile of money in front of them and say whatever they offer you, we'll offer you more just to make sure you come here. They could you know sort of eliminate that possibility and also have them the uh, sort of some certainty for themselves as far as what that their you know salary and payroll is going to look like going forward which is what they did with wit which you know you can sort of lock certain people in and then you can build around that and you have sort of that little bit of room uh especially where right now next year i think you're looking at brad keller dozier and mondesi and probably some others but those three i remember who are going to be looking at arbitration (laughs) so um to try and get somebody locked in and move forward with that is crucial just one quick thought, Blair, that, that uh, you know, over the last 29, 30 years, we've covered a lot of things together, especially the last seven here. I, I remember certain things about exchanges we've had during games. There was something in 2013, the Royals were kind of turning the corner, but we were both at a Royals game, and you know, out of the blue, they're, you know, they're up 5-1 or something, and whoever the opponent was, let's say it was uh-oh, Houston, they hit like four home runs in two innings. And I remember you saying something like, the Royals just never have these guys. They just never have that guy. And that, to me, circles back to, like, Solaire is a singular kind of presence in, in actually possibly in Royals history going forward, and, and it's, it's very interesting to see this chess piece for them. Well, speaking of the fictitious Houston team that you <laughs> – <laughs> uh, let, before, before we go to break, let's uh, – how about a thought on 
the big news in baseball over the last you know week week and a half the um, the cheating scandal that's cost the Houston Astros its um, its manager its general manager the Red Sox its manager the Mets its manager former Royals star Carlos Beltran it's what a kind of a black eye for for baseball over the last couple of weeks it's a you know incredible story listen hasn't cheating always gone on in baseball hasn't not cheating sign stealing I just think I guess the Astros took it to a level that was unacceptable for baseball yeah and they also they they used electronics to do it which is the thing I mean like it's always been going on but if you can see it from the dugout you can see it from second base that's one thing but using cameras around the stadium and relaying it from video rooms is something different and then I think also for the commissioner of baseball there was um I don't know if you say take it personal, but I mean, he put out the memo in 2017 when there was supposedly iPhone or iWatches and all the Apple Watches and things mm-hmm. going on that cut it out now, can't have it, and I'm going to hold general manager and manager responsible. And for teams to keep doing it the next season and, you know, um, sounds like for the next two seasons, multiple teams doing it, it was it was poking the bear. You know, it's funny. Baseball, of all the sports, right, is a game built on these unwritten rules. And, in fact, if I remember, I did some research on this once. The stolen base came out of a guy just deciding to run the second base because there was no rule against it, like in 1867. It, it, it had been a gentleman's game before that. <laughs> yeah. and, and then nobody told him to go back. So it's always been a game of, you know, what can you get away with? Really, it seems like that. And and now, you know, when you hear you got tangible rules laid down saying don't but it still is a funny kind of twist in all this about how you're just trying to get away with extending something that's always been done but now you have technology different i think it's fascinating it is um and like i said big story in baseball here in the off season all right we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna remember royals owner david glass if your steering wheel has more traction than your actual tires that's a big oh no thankfully For all your car's big O no's, there's always a big O yes. Now through February 2nd, buy three, get one free on select sets of four Aspen Touring AS or Mesa AP2 brand tires with paid installation purchase. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Disposal fees extra and up to 10% shop fee based on non-discounted regular retail price not to exceed $35 were permitted. See store for pricing. Eligibility may vary. Not valid with other offers. At participating locations, no cash value. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back with uh, Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian talking Royals. And let's talk David Glass for a moment here, Lynn Passed away last week, age 85, Royals owner. 84. Yeah. I'm, thank you for correcting me, 84. Really became associated with the Royals in 1993, but took over the ownership in, in 2000. And it was a rocky road for, for, the, for the Glass family. 
and uh, and Royals baseball in in the early years, and then it changed. In 2012, he hired Dayton Moore. I'm sorry, in 2006, he hires Dayton Moore. And by 2013, they turned a winning record. Took a long time to get there, and then they and then they went right to the top of baseball in 20, 2015 after being the AL champs in 2014. He is fondly remembered here in town because of, um, look, he came in and saved baseball in Kansas City, and then he won a world championship. I, I can't think of, um, you know, uh, every tribute that I've read and heard to Mr. Glass, well-deserved, well and he will, he will be always remembered in this town as, you know, a, a guy who did a ton for, for baseball here in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I look at it is just he had such this long run and there was the, you know, there was the, the the rough years, like you said, in the losing, which I think he got some criticism for. But also in the big picture, there's he's basically saved baseball in Kansas City to make sure that this franchise stayed here. And then there's the World Series runs and how they've sort of restructured the organization when he hired Dayton Moore. So it's um, and the people in the organization just love him. You hear Dayton talk about him and just how uh, great an influence he was on him and everybody in the organization. And I still remember Ned um, this past season before he retired, uh, spinning around in his chair and pointing at the picture in his office of uh, Mr. Glass holding up the World Series trophy and him talking about how that was maybe his greatest moment and his favorite moment in baseball is being able to give him that trophy and win it for him. So I think overall, people remember those great memories, even though along the way there was probably some, like you said, some bumps in the road. Vahe, I just never will forget the celebrate the celebratory locker uh, locker rooms, clubhouses along the way in 2014 and 15. He was in every one of them, and players enjoyed dousing him with champagne. And he was he reveled in in the celebrations. He did, and and yet without being you know asserting himself into the forefront or anything. And I'll tell you something interesting. Dayton uh, and I were on the phone a couple weeks ago, so before Mr. Glass died, and. We were just talking, actually, we were talking about parallels with the, the Chiefs and Royals and some different things with that. And Dayton remarked about the day after Game 7 when they lost to the Giants. And you remember that uh, sort of conciliatory fan greeting at, at Coffin Stadium the next day? It was sort of it strange went, and half-hearted and yet kind of cool, it, right? It, it went all, from parade to that. Yeah, and it was weird. Not, not everybody came. As I remember, Gerard Dyson, for instance, was like staying in his hotel room for three days and stuff like that, but he's, both both Dayton and Mike Swanson, the Royals Vice President of Communications, brought this up, that Mr. Glass was not angry that day, but upset. And he, he said, I believe Mike Swanson phrased it this way, that he wanted, the, he wanted the trophy with all the little flags on it. And Dayton, as he was talking about it that day, said he's not sure that they didn't sort of take their cue from Mr. Glass that day, that I mean, probably they would have gone right back to work, et cetera, but there was a little bit of fire, not not threat, but just sort of passion that I think enlivened their own their own thoughts about here we go, we're going after this. And in those next few days, they set a little bit of the template of what was to come. And Dayton told me at the time that was when they started targeting Johnny Cueto for something that wouldn't happen for months. But things like that, they really Dayton really felt that Mr. Glass was a driving force in that emotionally. Don't, don't be satisfied with, yeah. with getting to game seven yeah. and, and losing game seven. 
You're right. I've, I've, we've said it many times on the show just how struck we all were when we got to spring training in 2015 and how determined that Royals team was. And I was thinking, man, you just came within an out of, you know, of, of tying, at least tying up game seven. And wasn't that good? I thought that was good. I mean, that's, that's how I, I remember thinking later, like, what a loser I am. I'm like, they should be really happy with, you know, like, and they were like all just furious. And I'm like, oh, so it's just kind of interesting how they converted that to, to what, what happened next. What a, what, a, what a great tribute to, to David Glass. So, all right, Lynn Worthy, thanks for being here. Vahe, always great to talk to you. And uh, we will continue our baseball talk soon. That'll do it for another episode of Sports Beat KC presented by Big O Tires. Links to Royals coverage can be found in the show notes at kansascity.com and the True Blue app. Thanks to Derek Donovan and Randy Mason for producing today's episode. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another Sports Beat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.